the most neglected weapon in the armor of God. And I've been preaching on the Holy Spirit. And we understand that Jesus Christ is our intercessor. The Bible says that he is priest and he is a king. And he's called a kingdom of kings and priests. Interesting, Jesus is king and he's also priest. And he's the high priest. And he's come to raise up a kingdom of kings and priests. We're meant to be just like him and we're meant to do what he does. That's interesting. Jesus said, the things I do, you'll do also. If we're going to always function out of everything that our mind can understand, you will not function out of the spirit. I heard a preacher that I respect talking about the Holy Spirit and talking about tongues. And I was listening to him online. And he said, yeah, Paul says, I pray with my spirit. When I pray with my spirit, my mind's unfruitful. Yeah. Really? I mean, we really want our minds to be unfruitful? And I was sad. He's a good man, but I was sad. And I thought, do you honestly think that your thoughts and your brain and your logic trumps your spirit and the Holy Spirit? If the Holy Spirit can pray through me things my mind doesn't understand, I'm going with the greater, come Holy Ghost. Can I get an amen? Amen. Absolutely. So Jesus is our high priest. He became both the lamb of God who was crucified on the cross. He shed his blood. The perfect lamb, his blood redeems us, washes us, and sets us free. His blood was used as the purchasing currency to buy us out of the kingdom of darkness and set us free into the kingdom of God. Jesus is our high priest, and the Bible says he lives forever to make intercession for us, the church. How many of you know Jesus is in heaven right now interceding for you? Let me see your hands. You know that to be scripturally true? Keep your hands up. Scripturally, you've read this, you're familiar with this. Okay. Now, I'm going to read it to you. I'm going to show you some amazing truths and pull them together. And then I'm going to give you the big pow towards the end of the sermon. Romans chapter 8, verse 34. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Jesus Christ, who died more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is interceding for us. Now, this isn't the only scripture that says that Jesus is our intercessor and that he intercedes for us. But Jesus Christ is the high priest and he intercedes for us. Everybody say, way cool. I mean, that's a good thing, isn't it? I need all the help I can get. I'm glad that Jesus is interceding for me. Now watch this. But the Holy Spirit also intercedes. But he intercedes with us and through us. In John chapter 14, and I've read this scripture over the last few weeks, Jesus said... I will ask the Father, and he will give you another comforter or another advocate. Now, this is Jesus. 
He's going to heaven to intercede for us forever. He's at the right hand of the Father. The Father sits on the mercy seat. Jesus is right there, and he's praying in front of the mercy seat. Can I ask you if it's a mercy seat? Do you think from a mercy seat God is inclined to be good-natured, goodwill, benevolent, and answer our prayers? Absolutely. He's not sitting on a judgment seat. There's only a split moment in eternity where he actually takes the judgment seat. Otherwise, for the rest of the time, he's on a mercy seat. Isn't it interesting that religion always paints God as angry and ready to crush you if you make a mistake? And yet 99.99% of the time, God sits on a mercy seat. Somebody take a deep breath and say, thank you, Jesus. Religion can really mess us up. That's why we've got to get into the Word of God. So he says, uh, I'll ask the Father, he'll give you another advocate to help you. Everybody say, help you. And be with you. Say, be with you. The Spirit of Truth. Now, verse 17 continues to go on. I'm not taking it out of context. I just stopped it there so that we don't lose our train of thought. You can read it at home, and you'll see I haven't put a period there to take it out of context, nor am I neglecting the rest of the Scripture. Who is the Holy Spirit? He's an advocate. He will help us. He will be with us. He's the Spirit of Truth. All right. In the, he, in the Greek, it says parakletos, and it means, parakletos means advocate, intercessor, counselor, comforter, and helper. The Holy Spirit is an intercessor. So I got Jesus, who's in the throne room, interceding for you and me. Intercession means praying deeply. Not just the bless me and my wife, my, my son and my daughter, us for no more. No, not one of those prayers. You know how when you buy a McDonald's and you pray real quick, oh, Jesus, bless this food, help there to be no cockroaches in it. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs> not that kind of prayer. To intercede is to go into deep, deep prayer. And so we've got Jesus interceding for us next to the happy seat. The mercy seat. When God sits on the mercy seat, he's always happy. Can I change your picture of God? Jesus is standing next to the Father, and the Father's sitting on a happy seat, a good mood seat. Look, if you're going to believe that God gets a lot of bad moods, then let me talk to you from a terminology we all understand. It's a good mood seat. Because God's always in a good mood. Because God is good. If you want the theology of it, God is good. He is absolutely, perfectly wonderful. So the Holy Spirit's an interceder. So I got one up there, and then I got one down here, and he's with me. Okay. We read in Romans 8, 34, that Jesus is our intercessor. Let's go back to Romans 8, verse 34. Jesus is our intercessor. Romans chapter 8. Everybody say, Romans chapter 8. 
But in Romans chapter 8, he also talks to us about the Holy Spirit being our intercessor. So in the same chapter, Paul is introducing or talking about the fact Jesus is in heaven interceding for us and the Holy Spirit is here on earth interceding through us. Let's look at verse 26 to 27. In the same way, the Spirit, capital S, the Holy Spirit, helps us in our weaknesses. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit, capital S, Holy Spirit himself, intercedes for us through wordless groans. Everybody that wants to blah, blah, blah as to why tongues have ceased, I want to I know why in their prayer time they're not groaning. You want to tell me that ceased too? That wasn't part of the gifts. So if you want to take a cessation stance, the Bible says the Holy Ghost will pray through us with groans that we don't understand. Wordless groans. You see, we've become so cerebral in our Christianity. The reason why there's no moving of the Holy Ghost is because we become so cerebral. Now, I'm not saying we've got to become idiots. I'll put my doctorate against anybody else's doctorate. Let's go word for word from the Bible. I, I, I believe in being of a sound mind, and I believe studying the Word of God. There is no lack of study or understanding of God's Word just because we go, Kuramashiri Yandarabase. One of the common critical uh, misconceptions is that tongues is spoken by people that aren't educated enough. You know what? They're willing to talk in tongues. They're smarter than the educated people. But if you want to argue about tongues, then how many Puritans who are cerebral and have it all together in their head get into times of prayer where they're going, oh, and birthing something in the Spirit. They don't do that either. So I guess that ceased too. In other words, anything that doesn't conform to our mind has ceased because we don't like it. I want to tell you, you need to make war, and it's not on people. You need to make war on anything that your flesh doesn't like. Go to war on it because your flesh will be your destruction, but our spirit will be our resurrection. My mind doesn't have to understand everything. And when my mind does understand everything, I've just squeezed God into a nickel. Just made a joke on myself. I don't really mean it. The Holy Spirit wants to pray through you. So have you ever groaned lately? Because that's how Paul said the Holy Spirit will pray through you. He'll pray through wordless groans. People will argue about whether or not, oh, I hear people talking tongues, but it's gibberish. It doesn't necessarily, it's not a language, so it's of the devil. What language is groans? Sounds like to me groans is a language of the Holy Ghost. You know what the important thing is about tongues? 
And Paul says, though I speak in the tongue of men or angels, it's not always going to be a known language. But the thing about tongues is whether tongues sounds like or it sounds like a language, the point is this, your brain's not involved and the spirit who searches our spirit knows the mind of our spirit and makes it known to God. That's the point. That's the point. The Holy Spirit will pray through us even, you see, we are so American, please forgive me for saying that. We spend $60,000 so that we could have a piece of paper that says we graduated college and we have a degree. And all the emphasis is cerebral. That was the problem in the Garden of Eden. Yeah. You see, the soul is the realm of the mind, the memories, the intellect, the emotions, the will. He didn't appeal to their spirit. The spirit of God will always obey the word of God. He didn't appeal to their spirit. Did God really say? He says, come on, let's get your spirit out of the way here. I don't want to talk to your spirit. Did God really say? The reason why God said don't eat from that tree is because you'll have knowledge of good and evil. Doesn't that sound attractive? Oh, I really want the knowledge of good and evil. Right now, I only have the knowledge of good. I want the knowledge of evil too. Anyone going to sign up for that class after church? But it appeals to the mind. It appeals to the soul. And the things that appeal to Adam and Eve's soul and the things that appealed to their physical body, she saw that the fruit was good to eat. It was desirable. Mm. Be honest with me. You don't have to confess and name it. But how many things your body desires gets you into trouble? Can I see your hand? So the two things that got them into the, into trouble in the Garden of Eden was what their brain wanted to know and what their body desired. He sidetracked their spirit. Now we're in the church, and we want to sidetrack the spirit and be able to understand everything and keep it confined within the realm of our mental capacity. You don't want to talk in tongues? Then pray with groans that you can't utter. Jesus has gone pretty quiet. You see, what I'm getting at is the disciples were walking with Jesus and there were 10 towns and they didn't receive the gospel and they turned to Jesus and said, come on, Jesus, let's pray down fire from heaven. These are the disciples who had been casting out devils in the name of Jesus and doing miracles and they turn around from their perspective, from their emotional offense. These people haven't accepted Jesus. We've given up our lives to follow Jesus. Come on, Jesus, roast them and toast them. They were ready to pray in the flesh. And Jesus turned to them and said, What? You guys don't understand what spirit you're operating out of. I could open up the topic of politics here in this church. 
And we wouldn't have a political debate. We'd have a political fight. Because in this church, I'm smart enough to know, I've listened to enough conversations, I've got really, really, really good Christians who believe this way, and i got really, really, really good Christians who believe this way. It's like, you know, when, it, when, when it's a baseball game between Boston Red Sox and the Yankees, and I go watch it at my son's house, he's my son by marriage, Forget the law. He's my son by marriage. And we watched the game. He's a Boston freak. And I meant freak. (laughs) Did I say I'm from New York? (laughs) And so I'm praying, God, yeah, let him hit it out of the park. And then he's praying, yeah, God, let him strike out the Yankees. And I'm thinking, poor God, he must be really confused. And one side will pray for the man they want to be president, and the other side will pray for the other man to be president. And yet I've got really good Christian godly people in the same church. And I think to myself, you know what? Maybe we should stop praying from our head. You don't want to pray in tongues, then groan. Because when you start groaning, your head's not involved, and God will understand even a groan from the Spirit. Good preaching, Pastor Ron. When your faith in God has to be so cerebral, we've just made God so big, He's as big as our brain. That's dangerous. I'm enjoying this. I'm going to listen to the sermon afterwards. So I got Jesus praying in the heavens, and I got the Holy Spirit wants to intercede for me with groans, wordless groans. And sometimes tongues doesn't sound like a language. Hmm. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 2. For everyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to people, but to God. Indeed, no one understands them. They utter mysteries by the Spirit. Let me connect the point I made a few moments ago about politics and praying for presidents or baseball teams or football teams. Guys, We all are so entrenched in our own culture, whether it's a sports culture of I'm a Patriots fan or I'm a Giants fan or I'm a Yankee fan or what, or it's the culture of our nationality or the culture of Americanism or the culture of being on the left side politically or on the right side politically. Yo! There's a kingdom culture. When are we going to manifest the kingdom culture? There were things in the Scarallo culture of my mommy and daddy that I had to realize when I got over all my insecurities and sense of rejection that not everything in the culture of our home was the culture of the Word of God. 
And I needed to break from those subcultures because there's only one culture that counts, and that's the culture of God. So my point is, if we can be so divided on such pertinent issues, maybe we should stop praying in English and pray with groans or mysteries by the Spirit so that we're hitting the target and praying what God wants to pray for a change. I said to you earlier, you know, Jesus made a comment. The children of darkness are often wiser than the children of light. I said that during the worship period. Here, let me give you an example from the Bible, okay? I'm going to give you a scriptural example. The same way Adam and Eve didn't do what God had told them. They did what their mind was appealed to and what their body wanted. So after the flood, God says, spread out. Fill the earth. Along comes this dude, got a lot of charisma. He's a real, he's a leader, he's a hunter, he's an administrator, he's an organizer. His name is Nimrod. And Nimrod says, no, we're not going to spread out. Let's all stay here. And let's build a magnificent tower that'll reach the heavens. Now, I can't even begin to imagine in their primitive ways, what they must have been building. But here's the point. God's testimony is this. They were so united in their mind, in their soulish ways. Their spirit wasn't involved. Ever since the fall, the spirit of man went to sleep. It doesn't come awake until we get born again in Jesus Christ. They're living out of their soul. And out of their soul, the realm of their mind and their emotions and their will, they were so unified that God says, whoa, they are so one as a community and so unified. One speaks, another does. I need to confuse their language because nothing they imagine will be impossible for them. And so God sent tongues to break the soulish unity so that they didn't hurdle towards judgment too fast. And he sent tongues to divide them. Then the real Lamb of God dies on the cross, goes to hell, takes the keys of hell and death, and says, I got to go up to the throne room and sprinkle my blood in the Holy of Holies. And then I'll send the Holy Ghost on the day of Pentecost, 50 days later, because now the Holy Spirit can come into human beings who have really been washed, not by the blood of bulls and goats, but by the blood of the Lamb of God. The Holy Ghost comes down, and all of a sudden on the day of Pentecost, God says, I'm going to bypass your brain so that your spirit will join up with my spirit and now you'll pray what I want. And the same way tongues confuse them at Babel to stop the flesh, oh to God that the church could be as unified as they were around the Tower of Babel. And the children of darkness are often wiser than the children of light. 
We don't need the world to attack us. Go online and go to YouTube and you'll see everybody attacking every other form of Christianity and laying down their 10 cents worth and telling you why every other brand is from the devil. I think Jesus help us. If ever there was a reason for tongues, it's today. We need to hear the voice of God and we need to pray the will of God, but we are so culturalized, we are so uh, uh, divided, we are so opinionated. We see so strongly from our perspective, and there is no other perspective. If the church of Jesus Christ is going to have a revival, we need to dislodge this brain a little bit and say, come Holy Spirit, if you don't want to pray in tongues, pray in groans. Because God will understand groans from your spirit. A groan from your spirit makes more sense than all the intelligence from your brain. But watch this, church. So in the same chapter 8, he's telling us Jesus is our high priest. He's interceding for us. And then in the same chapter 8, he's telling us, and the Holy Spirit will intercede through you. Stop. Stop. He'll intercede through you. Number one, first question. Let's use the brain for a minute, okay? We want to make a deity out of it. Let's use the brain for a minute. My brain says, well, if Jesus is interceding and the Holy Spirit is interceding, why does the groan have to come through my mouth? Jesus is praying, the Holy Ghost is praying, why do I have to talk in tongues? Why do I have to groan? Why does it have to come out of my mouth? There are principles. Though the promises of God are many. If God made a promise, did God say it? All right, I know that was hard. Let's try it again. <laughs> if God made a promise, did God say it? Though the promises of God are many. So God's made a promise. God said it. And the yes is spoken in Christ. So now God the Father says something. It's a promise for all of us. And Jesus, God in the flesh, says yes. End of verse. No. And the amen, the agreement of yes, that's how it's going to be for me, is spoken by us, the church. There's a principle. Words are important because God will build your healing with your words through the power of the Holy Ghost. The same way God created the earth and the universe through the words of his Son. We are sons like him. He's king and priest. He called us to be kings and priests. We will rule and reign in life through one Christ Jesus. He stood on the edge of the universe and he spoke the creative words of God and the Holy Ghost went and he started to create the earth. Guess what? You're seated in heavenly places with Christ Jesus. Why? You're on a spiritual Ferris wheel? I know I'm spitting a lot today. It's anointing. If you were really wise, you'd... You'd see the spit coming and you'd go for it. More, Jesus, more. Well, I see the spit flying. I might as well make a joke about it, right? Look, 
Why are you seated in heavenly places? Oh, because we like just spiritual language and terminology that really doesn't mean anything, but we feel so good. When are we going to get past this nonsense? Every word is inspired by the Spirit of God, and it's a revelation of a truth that our brain doesn't always necessarily understand. You are seated in heavenly places, not so that you could have a tourist view. In England, there's this big thing. It's this, these capsules on this huge Ferris wheel. They call it the eye. Why? Because when you go up there, who's ever seen pictures of it? Anybody ever been on it? I had to pray 10 times before I got on it. Anyway, I had to rebuke the spirit of the fear of heights. But you're in this glass capsule, and it's huge. It's like three times the size of a normal Ferris wheel. And you can see all over London. Why you see it in heavenly places? So you could get a bird's eye view of what it looks like. Your son, like the sun, and he positioned you on the edge of the universe because he wants to use your mouth to release and to create. So I got an intercessor in heaven, and I got the intercessor here, but he wants to groan through me. Uh-uh. You know what? Holy Spirit, you do the groaning. No, he, he wants to partner with us, and he'll groan or pray in tongues through us. Because heaven needs your agreement. The Holy Spirit needs the words to come out of your mouth so that then he can make it happen. The Holy Spirit hovered over the earth. Nothing happened until the words came out of the Son of God's mouth. So the Holy Ghost will intercede through you because he needs your agreement in the form of words and when you give him words you're giving him building materials to do the miracle in your son to do the miracle in your daughter to do the miracle in your home you're giving him building words to do a miracle in your physical body think about it I got Jesus praying in heaven. I got the Holy Ghost praying. What does he need me to go kuramashanda for? What does he need me to go oh for? It's not dignified. My flesh doesn't like it. But everything my flesh likes usually gets me into trouble. So it might be a good idea that the flip side is, if my flesh doesn't like it, tough. Yeah, it is good preaching. Sorry, we, we couldn't capitalize the prophetic worship and the enthusiasm and the spontaneous worship and deep teaching all inside of six minutes, 60 minutes. So, you know, next week we're going to try to cut it all down. I was talking to a guy yesterday. He's been going to church for about 20 years, talking about his involvement in church, blah, 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 blah. And I sensed in my spirit, he, he likes Jesus. He likes the Christian church. I sensed in my spirit, he's not born again. So I looked him in the eyes. I said, are you born again? Are you saved? Have you ever asked Jesus in your heart? 
He had no idea. The Holy Spirit wants to pray through you and sometimes it's words that don't make sense. And sometimes it's emotion, sometimes it's groans, and sometimes it sounds like a known language and sometimes it doesn't. Get over yourself. God needs words and it is an honor for God to pray his will through this mouth and put my brain on the shelf. It's an honor. Amen. 1 Corinthians 14.2, I already read it. For anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to people but to God. Indeed, no one understands them. Indeed, no one understands them. It may not be an intelligent language. They utter mysteries by the Spirit, capital S. If the Holy Ghost is in this, I'm jumping in. Be like Peter. Do you realize 11 disciples of Jesus never walked on water? Too late, boys. The moment came and went. 2,000 years later, we're going to talk about how you didn't seize the moment. Peter says, Jesus, you're on water. I want to go there too. Oh, what the heck was I thinking? But he jumped in because Jesus was there. Can we have a little bit of childlike faith and say, if the Holy Ghost is in this, whether I understand it with my head or not, I want to be in what the Holy Ghost is in. Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 14, verse 14 to 15. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays. So the Holy Ghost prays and my spirit prays. Unity. The Holy Spirit prays with words that can't be uttered. And my spirit prays. Wow. I want my spirit to be in agreement with the Holy Ghost. And I'm smart enough to realize that sometimes my thoughts might interfere with the Holy Spirit's thoughts. So I'm okay with this. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. My mind's not involved. Yay! God says, yay, finally. Samaritans had wrong head knowledge. Jews have got just head knowledge. A lot of the church today has just got head knowledge. I want to communicate spirit to spirit. Wow, good preaching, Pastor Ron. So what will I do? I'll pray with my spirit. I'll also pray with my understanding. I pray intelligent prayers. In my eyes, they're intelligent. But I pray with my understanding. I pray in the spirit. I sing with my understanding, and sometimes I sing in the spirit. I didn't say I sing in tune. I said I sing with my understanding and I sing with my spirit. Here we go. I'm going to conclude with this. Here's the pow. The armor of God. Oh, yeah, let's put on the armor of God. Let's put on the armor of God. Everybody talks about the armor of God. One of the most significant pieces of the armor that is the most destructive to the enemy 
and the most protective to us. I've never heard it preached. I've been preaching 40 years. I've never read it. I've never heard it. I've been to seminars. I've preached. Never heard it. I'm going to share it with you today. How many of you want to hear it? It is the most powerful or at least among the most powerful offensive weapons and defensive weapons. You see, years ago in warfare, we had bombs that you would drop from planes. Today they call them dumb bombs. I said bombs, dumb bombs. And you, the, the operator had to <laughs> they had to be dropped from a plane and hopefully the operator dropped them at the right time and at the correct place for it to eventually hit its market. It was the least effective form of warfare. So what they did was they put hundreds of planes in the air and dropped thousands of bombs and just make a mess in the hope of getting their targets. It was a difficult style, a messy style of warfare. Then we got missiles. And we don't have to drop them from a plane. We could launch them from shore. We could launch them from under a submarine. We could launch them from a plane. They're self-propelled. Then we got guided missiles. And a guided missile could go 1,500 miles. But it's guided by GPS systems, and sometimes it, it, it's guided by infrared tracking, and there are numerous different types of tracking methods. But these missiles, they call them smart missiles, you know, that lock and forget. You could just launch it and forget about it, and it has now got a picture of the target, and if that target's a plane and the plane's doing this, it'll follow the plane. They have some missiles that are meant to hit a target on Earth, and as it gets close to the vicinity, it's locked in with GPS, it has a photo camera picture-taking mechanism, and it starts taking picture of the geography, and it lines up the geography. It uses Google Maps. I don't know if it really does, but anyway. <laughs> and it starts to overlay the images of where it needs to go. They say that you can launch a cruise missile from uh, uh, 1,500 miles away and hit a target the size of a one-car parking garage. Now, I've said all that to say the weapon I want to tell you about is more powerful than that. You see, we know about put on the helmet of salvation. Everyone puts on the armor of God. How many of you have ever, somewhere in your life, heard a sermon on it or actually made a routine of putting on the armor of God? Come on, put your hands up. Come on, put it up. The helmet of salvation. Yay, the helmet of salvation. I'm not going to preach it right now. Breastplate of righteousness. Yay, we do a whole sermon series on that. Okay, the belt of truth. Yay, the belt of truth. Shield. Yay. Quenches all the fiery darts. Shield of faith. Yay. Sword of the Spirit. If you're talking to Mike Young, he'll say, when you pull the sword of the Spirit out, never put it back in the sheath. His favorite saying, isn't it, Diane? He says it all the time. <laughs> Good on you, mate. But when you pull it out, never put it back in. Keep that sword out all the time. The feet shod with the preparation of the gospel. Okay. Helmet. Breastplate. Shield. 
sword, belt of truth, feet shod. Yay! And one of the most powerful weapons. Can I have Ephesians chapter 6, verse... Is it 18? 18, go to 18. And pray in the Spirit. Jesus is interceding in heaven. The Holy Ghost is interceding with your spirit. He's praying and your spirit is praying. Tongues are coming out. And the Spirit of God takes those words and like a guided missile... The enemy's trying to hide. He'll find that target and he will come down and that devil who's harassing your kids or your family and bang! And he will hit the mark every time. Every time, every time, every time. Oh, tongues is in for today. Yeah, let the devil have guided missiles and the church is gonna just sit there and say, we will overcome. <laughs> of course the devil doesn't want you using the best warfare weapons. <sighs> Principles. A principle can be true and have no power until you know the principle and use it. The principle of electricity has existed forever. But 2,000 years ago, they didn't have it. Combustion engines, those principles were true in the spirit world for thousands of years. 2,000 years ago, they didn't know it. They didn't know how to operate in it. They didn't understand it. They didn't believe in it. Never happened. Same with the Word of God. The principle of righteousness by faith was locked up for many years in the dark ages. And people were trying to work their way to heaven. What did God have to do? He had to reveal it again. And now thousands upon thousands, hundreds of thousands, even millions, have come to faith. And they understand they are righteous by faith in Jesus Christ. Can I get an amen? It only has power when you recognize the principle and then put faith in it and operate it. There was a revival of healing. A man named Alexander Dowie came from Scotland, moved to Australia, started having healing crusades. 10,000 people moved to Chicago, bought a booth in the World's Fair at Chicago and started praying for sick. And they're coming out of wheelchairs. They're dropping their, their walking sticks. Their eyes are opening. Amazing things. The guy eventually goes and, and starts uh, Zion City. Out of Zion City and this guy restoring the principle of healing came great healing evangelists and, and, and people like John G. Lake and people like Branham and people like Oral Roberts. They all were inspired by this first guy, Alexander Dowie. He did go off the wall a little bit, absolutely, without a question. But he understood a principle and started operating faith in it. And as soon as he did, others started to do it also. And all of a sudden, healings become commonplace. It's impossible to run a four-minute mile until the first man did. 
And hundreds have done it since. And there are so many principles in God, in the Spirit, that are true, and they're inactive. Because the church doesn't have a revelation on it, and the church isn't putting faith in it, and the church isn't operating in it. So let me tell you right now, praying in the Spirit, when I pray in tongues, my spirit prays. Praying in the Spirit. You pray about your mama. Pray what you know, and then pray what you don't know. You pray about your son. You pray about your daughter. They're unsaved. They're involved in drugs. They're doing crazy stuff. Listen, I even pray about me in tongues. Do you know that the enemy's stronghold, we want to pull down strongholds. The number one defense system of an enemy stronghold is try to be invisible. And so he tries to make himself invisible. Your blind spot is the enemy's stronghold. Where the enemy has a stronghold in you, it's a blind spot to you. Everybody else can see it. Everybody else talks about it. They even joke about it behind your back, but you don't see it. It's called warfare. And so sometimes I pray about Rob Scarello with my understanding, and then I say, now, Holy Spirit, we're going to switch gears. I'm putting you in the driver's seat. Now you pray through me about the things about Rob Scarallo that I don't see because I don't want that sucker to have anything in me. Or we could go back to having church from our cerebral capacity. Are you hearing me, guys? God loves you. And God wants to work spirit by spirit with you. We hear about the supernatural in the occult. We should be hearing about the supernatural in God's house and in God's people. Ah, it's too freaky. You want freaky? Here, people brought handkerchiefs. Hopefully, they washed them first. But they brought handkerchiefs to Peter. And he would pray on them. And then they'd take it home and put it on someone who was demon-possessed. And the demon would come out. Oh, that doesn't fit into the confines of my mind. You know what the problem is? We have a Christianity today that is about as big as the human brain. And what we need is a Christianity today that's as big as the Holy Ghost. No wonder I had so much warfare leading up to this morning. I'll guarantee that at least 90% of you have never heard praying in tongues as part of the armor. I pray that you will never forget it. Amen. You're so diligent to put on the armor, pray in tongues. And somebody said, you know, I heard somebody say, oh, pray in the Spirit. Uh, that can't be tongues because then he says, with all kinds of prayers and requests, that means your brain's involved. What did Paul say? I will pray with my spirit and I will pray with my understanding. Hello? Pray in the Spirit. And then pray all different types of formats of prayer as well. No, God doesn't want you to be mindless and brainless, but he does want you to be spirit-led as well somewhere. Yeah. 
Ooh. I'm definitely going to listen to this one. And I promised myself today, you know, the last two, three Sundays, we went a little bit long. I promised myself today, God, I promise I'm going to really end on time and people will see that I can do it. The question is, what part of this spirit-filled service should we have cut out? Oh, really? I'm tired of pleasing my flesh. And I'm tired of being pressured to please the flesh of humans. Flesh gives birth to flesh. Spirit gives birth to spirit. We need some Holy Ghost birthing. Amen. Come on, let's stay. Amen. Praise God. God is good. If I can have my prayer partners come on out the front. Julio, let Carol through. Amen. When you don't know how to pray about your kids, because sometimes as a mama, we'll pray from what we understand. You ever notice that God sees things in people that we don't see? How many of you have ever misjudged someone? Come on, be honest. I'd put both feet up too, but then I'd fall on my butt. The beauty of praying in the Spirit, God gets it right every time. And when you pray about your husband, your wife, your son, your daughter, in the flesh you might say, come on God, roast them and toast them. And you're praying from the wrong spirit. Just goes to show you could be so with Jesus and so in the wrong spirit. The disciples did it. But I promise you this, if you're praying by the Holy Ghost, even though you don't know what you're saying, it's best that way because otherwise your brain would interrupt and say, oh, no, 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 this is what I know. Let me correct that. And so when you're praying about your kids, you say, Father, I thank you for my daughter and my son-in-law. He's a good man. Bring them back, Jesus. Bring them back to you. Now, Holy Spirit, I prayed with my understanding, but I'm going to trust you. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. You see, church, offensive, defensive also. Father, I bind this spirit, I bind that spirit, and I cover my kids, I put the blood of Jesus over them. And you don't know. Some demons may have sat down at their, part, their war table and made a strategy to affect one of your kids. Did you know that the Holy Spirit also has a guided defense system? Because of guided missiles, Nations now have missiles that can lock on to missiles and explode them in midair so that they don't do any damage. 
When you pray in the Spirit, attacks that the enemy is planning that you don't even know. You are releasing God's smart bombs to blow up the strategies of darkness in the heavens before they ever land on your roof. You can say peace all you want. The devil's not going to keep you in a place of peace. You are in warfare whether you like it or not. Till Jesus comes back, you are in warfare. You might as well learn how to tie up your army boots and strap on your armor. Because until Jesus comes back, it is spiritual war. But we win. We win. We win. Wait, wait. We need revival church. I don't mean this building. America needs revival. We're in trouble. And it's not because the Republicans are in. The Democrats would make as much of a mess. Don't get offended. We look to the White House, God's looking to the lighthouse, and the lighthouse ain't shining. Go ahead, vote. Go ahead. Know your stuff. Go ahead. But as much as you know about politics, do you spend as much at the altar weeping and praying and crying out to God? We need a revival. More than church growth, I want a move of the Holy Ghost. Because when we have a move of the Holy Ghost, it doesn't matter what it looks like. We blame him. Well, he showed up. <laughs> he did it. That's what God wants. Now, when we have a move of the Spirit of God, it'll last a lot longer and go a lot deeper. So, if I could pull one trigger, if I could pull one lever... I would want you all to fall in love with God and see how wonderful He is. Because out of that, I wouldn't even need to tell you to come to prayer meetings. You'd be in the throne room because you love God. Amen. If you've never asked Jesus Christ in your heart, you must be born again. You must. Jesus said it. You must be saved you got to step out of just what you know and throw caution to the wind and say, Jesus, I don't understand this, but I'm asking you to come into my heart, take over my life. Jesus, I need you. Every eye closed. If you're not sure if you're born again and you want to be, you don't know what it looks like, smells like, sounds like, but you want to be. You know you need to be. Put your hand up. Come on, right now. Put your hand up. Thank you. Thank you. Who else? Others, thank you. Over there, thank you. Put your hand up. Say, I want to be born again. I don't know what it looks like. I don't know what it all means. But if Jesus said it, then I want to be born again. Come on. Don't be proud. Don't be proud. Amen. Put your hand up if that's you. Three people so far that I saw. Would you very quietly turn to someone next to you? You ladies, come. I want to pray with you. 
Come, let me pray with you. Those of you that raised your hand, come on down the front. Why don't you quietly, respectfully, gently, purposefully, kindly turn to someone and say, have you asked Jesus in your heart? Come on, do that right now. Be an evangelist. If you can't be an evangelist in here, how are you going to be an evangelist at home? Anyone who raised their hand, come on down. Let me pray with you. Come on, come on. Let me pray with you. Don't be shy. It's okay. Don't be shy. Men need to do this as well, not just women. Come on. Peter was a man's man. He was always jumping in. If Jesus is there, I want to be there. Amen. The altar is open. We're going to pray with these folk. If you want to receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost, you want to pray in tongues, you need a healing, you need a miracle, you need something supernatural, these people will pray for you. Everyone, eyes closed. Ladies and whoever else raised their hand over there, pray. Everyone pray out loud. Dear Jesus, I've sinned. No surprise. But you love me. I don't always understand why, but you love me. Jesus, I'm asking you to come into my heart right now. I'm giving my life over to you. I need you to live in me and have your way. So Jesus Christ, I'm yours. Forgive me. Come live inside me. And let's do life together forever right now. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Se lepa anu se ma atis.